Lucy was a bloke who grew up in a, in a refugee camp just on the edge of Cambodia. And as you might imagine, Woody experienced much of the carnage that this broken world has to offer in that sort of a situation. Uh, in that uh, refugee camp, though, he looked up to the soldiers who were there. As a young boy, he wanted to be uh, like uh, the soldiers. Uh, they smoked, so did he. At one point, he was given a, a free Bible, and he used the pages of the Bible uh, to roll his own cigarettes. Uh, having sort of smoked his way through the Bible for a good couple of years, uh, and getting towards the end, he thought, I better actually read some of this before I finish it off. Uh, what he read, it was the end of Matthew's Gospel, uh, which talks about Jesus' resurrection. He was dead, buried, but he rose from death to life. And Woody, he'd been wondering about which God is real, the, the Buddhist God, or he came to know that the God of the Bible is real. Uh, Vudi is now the principal of Phnom Penh Bible School in Cambodia. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? While he was smoking his way through the Bible, God's word broke into Vudi's life. Uh, today, we see God's word break into Abram's life. But it's not just Abram's story. It's also God's word breaking into this broken world. As much as this is Abram's story and uh, his family that follows, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name's changed to Israel, and, and those 12 sons, and we'll finish with Joseph in chapter 50. As much as this is Abram's story, it's also a part of, of God's big plan of salvation. Uh, to give some context, though, we, we need to appreciate what's, what's gone on before and you may know that word Genesis, it just means beginning or beginnings. And that's what chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis is. God creates the world and God looks at his creation and he declares it to be very good. You could say that God's creation at this point is sort of brimming with blessing. God creates man and woman in his own image and he gives them that special responsibility to rule his world under him, there to fill the earth. But in chapter 3, they rebel against God. Instead of trusting God's good word, they preference a word spoken by a snake. And evil enters God's good creation. And humanity, as a result, is, is kicked out of God's place, the, the garden, to live in exile. And, and their experience is one of living under curse. And when we get to Genesis 4 and then all the way through to chapter 11, what, what we really have is a description of what life outside God's place, the garden, is actually like. And it's shocking. Sin just multiplies. It's murder and it's, it's all the rest. When we get to chapter 11, we, we have the, the, the picture of the height of human arrogance. The Lord had told his people to spread, to fill the earth, but they want to stay put. They want to build a, a tower, Babel. Why? 
they say that they might make a name for themselves. They want to be famous. Over and over again, humankind proves to be a great disappointment to God. They're rebellious, they're corrupt, arrogant. Sin has entered God's new creation through humankind and sin is a destructive, a corrupting force that places the entire creation at risk. And as readers of the Genesis account, at this point, well, it's not looking good, is it? What's God going to do? Dust off his hands and be done with them? I'm sick of this lot. Some of us may reflect on our own lives thinking that God might feel that way towards us at times. What's God going to do? Well, just as God created by his word, he spoke creation into being. Genesis 12 begins with God's word. God's word breaks in. See verse 1 of Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. God's word breaks in. And you notice here that God's word comes uh, in the form of a command and a promise. The command is to leave and go. Leave everything you know and go to this place. What place? Well, I'll show you. It's a big ask, isn't it? you imagine someone ringing you up and saying, oh, look, you've got to quit your job. You've got to leave everything you know behind and come with me to this new place. It's a big ask. That's the command. And the promise is that God will be with Abram and give him a new home. I'll show you, says the Lord. In verse 2 and 3, the the promise is filled out. And this is the really famous part uh, of, uh, of Genesis chapter 12. The Lord says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you you get the impression that the Lord is intent, determined to bless Abram. The repetition really stacks up though, doesn't it? Five times it's I will, I will, I will, I will. And Abram is promised nationhood. I will make you into a great nation. This is Abram whose wife Sarai, in chapter 11, verse 30, we already know she can't conceive. The bloke can't have a family. How's he going to be a great nation? He's promised blessing in verse 2, I will bless you, and uh, I will bless those who bless you in verse 3. He's promised greatness in verse 3. I will make your name great, sorry, in verse 2. It's an interesting contrast in chapter 11, those people with their tower of Babel. Let's make a name for ourselves. God is going to give this Abram a name as gift. And he promises protection. This bloke, Abram, is bulletproof. But notice the promises aren't just for his benefit. 
Here God promises to bless who? The entire human race through Abram. It's not just for Abraham and his family that will follow the Israelites, but verse 3, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. They're staggering promises, aren't they, to, to an unknown Abram in the context of rebellion, corruption, and arrogance, God's word breaks in and God says he will bless. Can we trust in God's promise? I reckon it's really interesting that Abram does. Even though at this point his wife Sarai can't, can't conceive, but God's word, we know as we, the story progresses, God's word will overcome infertility. Just as God's word overcame slavery in Egypt where the Lord rescued the Israelites. Just as God's word overcame exile in Babylon to restore the Israelites. Just as God's word overcame death to raise Jesus from death to life and rescue us from our sin. Verse 4, what, what, what does Abram do? So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. It's amazing, isn't it? A Abram believes, so what does he do? He obeys. A, a complete change at 75 years of age. Uh, can I just say that this is the same for everyone who trusts and follows Jesus? We believe, so we obey. That's what it is. Abram was called to leave his country, his people, his father's household. And so it is with us, a change of allegiance, a, a shift in priority. It's what happened with those early believers, isn't it, with Jesus. There they are, the fishermen with their nets, and Jesus says, come follow me. Today we may not physically leave where we are, but there's a change of loyalty. I love um, C.T. Studd's story. Some of you will, will know that story. He lived in England in the 1800s, grew up in a wealthy family, university educated, happened to also be really good at cricket. He played cricket for England when, you know, they were at the top of their game. And he was amazing. He gave it all up to be a missionary in India, China and Africa. You imagine the talk around this. What's he doing? He's mad. The world was at his feet. And when they asked C.T. Studd, he famously said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice be too great for me to make for him. Now that kind of a life motto, it's not just for, for Abram or, or, or the missionaries to live by, but it's for all believers. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. 
while God's word has just broken into Abram's life, the journey of faith has just begun for him and his family. And Abraham, you may have noticed from the Bible reading, is no perfect believer. He struggles just like us. In chapter 12, verse 10, having just left home in obedience to God's call, Abram is faced with a crisis. There was a famine in the land. Doing God's will doesn't guarantee a a pain-free, comfortable existence. And Abram, to survive, he travels to Egypt. But he doesn't consult the Lord. And he's actually leaving the area where the Lord has just said in verse 7 to your offspring, I'll give this land. He's leaving the land that will be the promised land. And as readers, this may at least make our eyebrows kind of go, is that a good idea? What's he doing? And if you remember the book of Ruth, it sounds like Elimelech, who took his family from the promised land, away as well. But it gets worse. Someone said, fear drives out faith. Fear drives out faith. And here, Abram, fearful to protect himself, he comes up with that, that plan which puts his wife Sarah in harm's way. Instead of trusting God's promise and acting with integrity, he tells his wife to tell them, the Egyptians, when they ask, that they're just brother and sister. No, we're not married. He, he's, he's my brother. It's that she's beautiful And that if Pharaoh's talent scouts notice her, Abram's worried that they'll kill him to take her. This is a dodgy, selfish husband, isn't it? Fearful about looking after himself. Does Abram forget God's promise to him? He's bulletproof. And Sarah's added to Pharaoh's women. And Abram is well looked after by Pharaoh. But, chapter 12, verse 17, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. Abram lies to Pharaoh. He treats his wife terribly just so he can stay safe. And he's rewarded with new wealth while Pharaoh is smashed with diseases. Would you say that's a little unfair? In fact, Abram does the same thing in chapter 20 with someone else and again ends up richer. What is going on here? Well, the text is showing us that Abram's bulletproof or more so that God has an unshakable commitment to his promise even when Abram carries on like a goose. This is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. Abram can't stop God's plan of salvation. As God's word breaks into this broken world and invades Abram's life, God's salvation relies on God's grace, not on the strength of Abram's faith. It's interesting, though, that this event, 
you know, the thing with his wife and Pharaoh, it's contrasted with Abram's faithfulness in chapter 13. Just as in Genesis 12, Abram faces a crisis, in chapter 13, it's that the land that Abraham and Abram and Lot, uh, that they live on, it's too small for them both. Such has been the Lord's blessing. They're growing and, and growing. That The land is not big enough for them. What, what will Abram do? Will he take the best land for himself and make sure God's promise is kept or, or what? Well, in chapter 13, he trusts God. He risks everything and he gives Lot his nephew first choice. And obviously Lot chooses the better land. But Abram's generosity is proof of his faith in God. Uh, A a man came to um, Peter Marshall, a a former chaplain of the US Senate. He he was worried, this bloke was worried about giving away 10% of his income to support gospel ministry. I have a problem, said this bloke. I've been tithing for some time. It wasn't bad when I was making 20,000 a year. I could afford 2000 But you see, now I'm making 500000 and there's just no way I can afford to give away 50000 a year. And Mr Marshall said, yes, sir, I see that you have a problem. I think we ought to pray about it. Would that be all right? The man agreed. So Mr Marshall prayed. Dear Lord, this man has a problem and I pray that you would help him. Lord, reduce his salary back to the place where he can afford to tithe. Being generous shows we trust Jesus for our future and not our own ability to secure our future. Being generous shows we treasure Jesus who gives us every good gift. We treasure him more than the gifts he gives us. Being generous shows we believe that we, what we have is actually God's gift instead of believing that we've earned everything that we have. Being generous as believers today, it's just a wonderful way of reminding ourselves our treasure is in heaven and this life is just the beginning. You know what I reckon is really beautiful about chapter 12 and 13? Just sitting here next to each other is that we're all a mixture when it comes to trusting God too. Sometimes like with Abram in Egypt, our reality is fear drives out faith. We do dumb things to try and protect ourselves instead of relying on God and resting in his promises. And sometimes, like Abram and Lot, it's faith that drives out fear. We practice faith in God. We we stand on the promises of God confidently. Now, I love that Abram was ordinary like you and me, a mix in the ups and downs of life. And I love that the God of the Bible is trustworthy. He makes promises... And he's committed to keeping them. 
And that even as the world was a mess, Genesis chapter 3 through to 11, much like our world today, the multiplication of sin, rebellion, corruption, arrogance, instead of dusting off his hands, I'm done with them, the Lord chose to bless. God's word broke into Abram's life. God's word broke into human history. And we get to be a part of that too. All these years later, the God of the Bible is real. As Vuti learnt while smoking his way through the pages. Can I say, if you are someone who's trying to make sense of life, it's our prayer as a, as a local church that you would know the God of the Bible. He's real. He really is. And our prayer is that you might begin a journey with him if you, if you haven't already. God's word breaking into your life too. Uh, let's be praying that many would know God, know him to be real and join us in trusting him. Let's do that now. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the life of Abram, whose name will be changed to Abraham soon. Lord, we thank you that you that you gifted him with those promises. An ordinary person living out the back of nowhere. We thank you, Lord, that your word broke into human history a couple of thousand years before Jesus entered history. Lord, we want to thank you that Jesus did enter history, that your living word, that your son broke into human history. We thank you that he lived the life that we couldn't. And we thank you, Lord, that the promises applied to Abram are ours in him, that we get to be a part of the people of God, your people, that you give us a place, heaven, our home. And we thank you, Lord, that you bless us with every spiritual blessing. Lord God, help us see more of your faithfulness. We thank you that you're a God who's committed to your promises. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus living for him. And Lord, please, please, may many, many more people know that you, that you are real. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.